0: And that he was not the, not the originator of the Baptists in England at all. That he really never was a sound Baptist at all. And we're in page number 227, John T. Christians, Volume Number Two, Volume Number One. That is. Many historians write something down without any. Foundation at all when they write about John Smith, you know he was a Baptist and he started about the Baptist Church and and it started between 1609 and 1608 and 1611. Let me tell you a little history about the Oxford English Dictionary and James Murray. There were there was never a complete dictionary of the English language before this. There were English dictionaries, so and so, you know, little dictionaries that covered like a minuscule part of the English language. And then they had a a group of people that were going to write the English dictionary with all of the sources of the language. From every language. Now they had a man that, and they sent out all over the world and asked people to read books from, from 1600 to 1650 or 1600 to 1620 or 1500 or whatever, you know, that period of time. And he had readers from all over the world. And they had to write down with a valid use of that word in different books they take the word dog or uh, shirk or whatever they wanted to use. Whatever word it was, they started out with A, you know. That's how you start the alphabet, it was A. And they had such a tremendous amount of response all over the world. In England, they had all people reading books in England. They had re- book, people reading books in, in America. And they had all kinds of people that were doing this, some people were absolute recluses, but they were rich recluses, and they didn't go out of their homes at all, and they would sit and read books forever. You know, that's what they did with their lives, they read books, and they experienced things, and all over, because, you know, printing had come in the press from the time the printing press came in, and there were people reading Chinese, and they were reading Persian, and whatever language, they were reading all these different languages, and they were putting these things down, they put them on little slips of paper. And finally, when it was handed over to James Murray, he said he'd like a shot at it, and he built a tin building in his backyard. And in that tin building, he put pigeon holes, like little square pigeon holes, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or from A, B to A, C, or whatever, and they would put all this stuff up there. But before anything could be validated, he had to edit it. And it took a long time just to get through A. But he wouldn't accept anything that just was hearsay. It had to have the etymology of what language it came from, whatever it was. He had to have it. It had to be valid. He had to have proofs. And he had a, a lot of this. I mean, the dictionary ended up being many volumes over the time between 1816. and 16, And 1928. It took over 70 years to get the dictionary written. It was the most scientifically proven historical dictionary of the English language ever to exist or to exist until this day. Now, history sometimes isn't like that. Somebody just sits down and writes a history and just throws something out without having any, val- any validation to it all. If you look in this book, in the end of the book is a tremendous bibliography. I mean, it's tremendous bibliography in the end of this book. Now, I went and looked in the bibliography of this book, and a lot of the books that he quoted from are up there and all the way down there. I don't have all of my history books in here. I have another, probably another 12 foot by five foot with 12 inches apart all the way. I probably have that much more history books to put up, but I have to build another bookcase on this side. So I would read the sources, what he says in here, and then I would go chase it all the way down and see if he quoted it validly. Now, that's the way they made the Oxford English Dictionary. Every quotation had to be valid. There could be no fudging anywhere. And finally, he fought for years and years. They told him to abbreviate it, to cut it down shorter. Like in Webster's Dictionary, he would write seven, eight, ten pages to one in Webster's. On the same word but it was a valid, historical, scientific book that has never been challenged since because it was so valid. Now, this is one of the most valid histories that I've ever read. Now, I've got the ones that are being quoted in here. I got the Anto-Nicene, Nicene, Post-Nicene fathers up there. I've got all of John Calvin's writings up there, volumes and volumes of them. I've got tremendous amount of histories. And I've read those histories along with this one, and of course this one is all written up as you can see. Any book I write, uh, I read is all messed up in it, Marilyn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so what I'm reading to you here, a lot of the histories, when somebody says something about somebody, it doesn't mean it's valid. It's, it's a guy here by the name of Action offers no proof in the favor of his position at all when he writes about John Smith. It is curious, however, that those who have been so careful to quote Dr. Ashen in the above-guarded statement that Smith poured water on himself have been equally careful to pass over the strong statement that the Dutch Baptists of the time of Smith practiced dipping only. Practiced dipping only. In one instance he speaks with uncertainty and in the other positively. The first fits the perceived views of those who find pouring everywhere and always quoted. Now, there's a book I have over here also, uh, right over there. That's the history of the word baptizo. The history of the word baptizo, and that book is written by the pedobaptist to support that baptism is only a rite. It doesn't have to be performed by dipping. But the word baptizo means to immerse. As simple as that. But you make excuses. Now they said, well see in the Old Testament they sprinkled the blood. But they took the priest and dipped them. The blood sprinkled was the Lord's blood. And were baptized into his death and burial and resurrection raised up out of it. And that sprinkling and pouring just doesn't work there at all. In one instance he speaks uncertainly and the other positively. It is worthwhile to see what Ashton does say. His words are as follows, so he quotes him directly. It is rather a singular fact, as zealous as were Mr. Smith and his friend for Believer's Baptism, and earnest as were the opponents in behalf of infant baptism, The question of the mode of baptism was never moated by either party. Immersion for baptism does not appear to have been practiced or or pleaded uh, by either Smith or Hewley's and allegedly uh, founded the General Baptist Association in England. Nothing appears in those controversial writings to warrant the supposition that they regarded immersion as the proper and only mode of administration of baptism, which is totally false. That's a false statement, but he's trying to promote sprinkling and pouring for baptism. And remember, the Church of England only dipped for baptism for many years. They did not want to accept effusion or clinical baptism unless the person was dying or very ill. And then you had to pour a a whole bucket of water on a baby, or you had to pour a bathtub of water on 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 a grown human. You had to be buried in water. That was the idea. It says here that uh, incidental allusions there are in other works and to the replies of Robinson that the baptism which Mr. Smith professed on himself must have been rather by effusion or pouring. Nor is this supposition improbable from the fact that the Baptist, Baptist by whom they were surrounded uniformly administered baptism by immersion. Now, in Russia... In Russia today, people self-baptize themselves. Don't they? they baptize themselves, don't they? Marilyn, have you seen that on television? Yeah. Yeah. They they go out in the winter time and baptize themselves in icy waters. It makes them more holy. They'll baptize themselves how many times? Three times. Three times. They dip themselves three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they'll cross themselves every time. Now these are what we call, we call the Orthodox Catholics, the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. And they dip by baptism. Still, they are dipped to begin with and then they, every now and then they dip themselves. Sometimes every year on Easter or whatever, they dip themselves three more times. But it's dipping, it is not pouring. It said further Here, if silence was worth anything, it would prove immersion as readily as pouring. An honest man ought to be quite quibble. An elaborate statement had been made that all the Mennonites practiced pouring and that in 1612 immersion was unknown among them. That immersion began in Holland in 1619 among the Collegents and the Rheinsberg. Therefore, it is said Smith practiced pouring As an argument, this is illogical. If Smith desired to practice pouring, why did he not go to the Mennonites if they possessed the thing he wanted? Smith was an Englishman starting baptism on his own account because he believed all succession was lost and that he did not go to the Dutch for baptism. He studied church history and he studied Catholic history when you go to college today and you study church history, if you study what we might call comparative religion, it's going to tell you the history of the Catholic Church, not not the history of Baptist or church history. It's the history of Catholic Church. You go back here, the Catholic Church didn't start until 325 A.D. Now they will take, they'll have a long line of popes up until that period of time, but that line is nothing but a fairy tale. Didn't have it didn't happen. It's fairy tale history. At this period of time, we're studying people that were, they're coming out of the Reformation, and and we have Calvin, we have Luther. They're coming out and they're practicing sprinkling, especially for Epitarians. and they're pra- practicing pedobaptism. baptism. They're sprinkled They sprinkle babies. The Church of England was still dipping babies. All Baptists dipped. Every time a a Jew would dip or baptize them in a bathma. they would dip for baptism. Baptism goes all the way back, as far as we can tell, to Abraham when he dipped or baptized all of his servants before he circumcised them. The girls, there were baptistries all around on every side of Jerusalem where people would go and dip themselves to purify themselves. And it was all by dipping, not by sprinkling, not by pouring. It says here. The remark of the editor is equally true of considerable period of controversy in this country, England. That all but universal practice in the English church rendered discussion as a mode mode unnecessary. In Tomes, replies to his many opponents, the claims of infants are the points of dispute. Upon the mode of Smith baptism, we shall have to move more to say presently and we only add that there was a portion of the Dutch Baptists who uniformly administered baptism by immersion. There were Baptists in Holland, those administered baptism by immersion, as well as those who adopted the mode of present practice by our brethren in the Netherlands. It is clear from both Ashton and Evans that had Smith desired immersion from the Mennonites there were those in the practice who could have immersed him among the Mennonites. Smith was possibly immersed in infancy. If the Crowell records be true, he was immersed in 1606 and was now immersed again. It was the validity of the baptism over which he stumbled and all people stumbled. Miller is uh, freely quoted by Evans was a Mennonite, the Mennonite brethren are most excellent people, but they are nervous on the subject of baptism. They are universally anxious to justify their practice of pouring. But even Miller says Smith was immersed. He thought that the Mennonites of that period were in the practice of fusion, but that Smith immersed himself. Since Miller has been freely quoted this declaration of interest, he says, I myself add the following remarks, and it appears to me that the persons mentioned in the memorial who were not yet baptized were admitted to the uh, waterlands by baptism, not of immersion, but by sprinkling. This mode of baptism was free from the days of minnow, the only mode used among them and still amongst us. The wetlanders now and any other of the various parties in the Netherlands, the paradox and then practice at that time baptism by immersion of course now where did Menno Simmons come from where did he originate he was a Catholic priest and the Catholics at that time sprinkled had they made an exception in this use on behalf of the English who in their country had not yet received baptism it is more than probable that the memorial would have mentioned the alteration, but they cared only for the very nature of the baptism, as founded in full all ages, at uh, full ages—that is, only of adults—and were therefore willing to admit that they were baptized by a mode different from theirs, just as they were wanted to be nowadays. The other witness is a Quaker. Barclay also belittles baptism and takes special delight in the endeavors to invalidate the claims of the English Baptist. He was compelled to admit that the question of the manner of baptism does not come, from, come up. When Professor Mason was asked his opinion in regard to, the, to this book of Barclays, he said, yes, I know the book well. I was much interested and read the book as soon as it came from the press. Robert Barclay belonged to a family which had long been connected with the religious history of England, and I was led to expect great things from the book, but I was disappointed. It seems to me that he failed to catch the trend of the religious life of the times with which he wrote. The work is in no wise equaled to the subject with which he deals and which we might have expected from him. I suppose that he collected some useful information but the work is not especially valuable or reliable. From some of the other authors it will be found that all the Mennonites practiced dipping. It's just what Arthur writes that all the Mennonites practiced dipping. Some of them practiced dipping and further that Smith was dipped. The overwhelming majority, however, of the historians, including many who have given the subject most careful consideration, never intimidate that Smith was baptized in any other form except immersion. In the century in which the baptism occurred, the 17th, no writer mentions any form of baptism of Smith other than immersion. on page 232. But now very lately some are mightily taken and having found out a new effect in baptism under the deflection which maketh it a a nullity of baptism in their conceit. That is in none at all and concerning the manner of baptism wherein they have espied such a default as it makes it absolute nullity of all persons baptized, but have been so baptized according to the new discovery. So partly so before in regard to the subject, the partly so as regard the great default in the manner, manner. They want a dipper that has authority from heaven as had John, whom they pleased to call a dipper, John the Baptist or John the Dipper, in whom it is said that it might be manifest that his baptism was from heaven. Now, Baptist dipping people, when the Presbyterians started sprinkling and the Catholics started sprinkling and the Church of England started sprinkling they just denoted that these people were baptizing not for the purpose of baptism, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but they were baptizing infants and, and they were baptizing for the remission of the sins or for the remission of their re, the original sins and then after they got up to the age of accountability, then they had to make a confirmation that their godmothers and godfathers had made for them the confession of faith because they weren't able to. Baptism isn't for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is because of the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> on page 235. and we're kind of skipping along here. Hey, Luke, a look of surprise came over his face and queried, "Does anyone believe anything like that? He said, well, I am always open to the new light. These gentlemen may know something that I do not support of their theory, but all of my reading is in the direction that Baptists in England were immersionists in practice. Of course, among the early Anabaptists of Germany, when all kinds of people were called Anabaptists, the term covered all sorts of religious people and beliefs. And there may have been some who were called Anabaptists who practiced sprinkling, but I do not know of any such in England. When a man puts forth a new opinion like this, no one is under the slightest obligation to believe or to refute it, it unless he's supported by a most powerful document. All of the literature of the times are in favor of dipping theory or immersion. When I wrote my book, I tried to guard every point with ample authority. I had a good reason for what I did. Much has passed out of my mind and it very dim to me now. He said at once he proceeded to mention many well-known authorities and to refer readily to the original sources. The avowed enemies of Smith on page 235 affirmed that the form of baptism was immersion. Bishop Hall, who was an open opponent of Smith, points the form of baptism was immersion. In his Apology Against the Brownists, he speaks of Smith as one who had washed off the font of water unclean. And further, he says, he had renounced our Christendom with our church and has washed off his former water with the new water. Re-baptism. All of this goes on all the way down till we come down to page 239, which we'll start in our next message, and we get into people that we know. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Have you ever heard of him? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon one of the greatest Baptist preachers in, in England. They, they couldn't build a church big enough for the people to, to hear, hear him. He spoke to 10,000 people back before there were microphones. <laughs> That's quite a deal. Oh my and they wrote his sermons out in newspapers, which was quite a deal. Our Father, we send this message out, that you might make clear the mode of baptism is immersion throughout all times that the history of baptism teaches that baptism by immersion because it typifies the death, burial, and resurrection of our lives when we're baptized because of Christ we're baptized into his death and we're raised into newness of life and in his forever resurrection please forgive us forgive me where I fail you in Jesus name I pray Amen